Section thirty one of Fairy Tales Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jean Bascom. Fairy Tales Every Child Should Know. Edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe. Section thirty one The Light Princess by George MacDonald. Part four. Chapter ten. Look at the moon. Early the next morning the prince set out to look for something to eat, which he soon found at a forester's hut, where for many following days he was supplied with all that a brave prince could consider necessary, and having plenty to keep him alive for the present, he would not think of wants not yet in existence. Whenever care intruded, this prince always bowed him out in the most princely manner. When he returned from his breakfast to his watch-cave, he saw the princess already floating about in the lake, attended by the king and queen, whom he knew by their crowns, and a great company in lovely little boats, with canopies of all the colors of the rainbow, and flags and streamers of a great many more. It was a very bright day, and the prince, burned up with the heat, began to long for the cold water and the cool princess. But he had to endure till twilight, for the boats had provisions on board, and it was not till the sun went down that the gay party began to vanish. Boat after boat drew away to the shore, following that of the king and queen, till only one, apparently the princess's own boat, remained. But she did not want to go home even yet, and the prince thought he saw her order the boat to the shore without her. At all events it rowed away, and now, of all the radiant company, only one white speck remained then the prince began to sing and this is what he sung lady fair swan white lift thine eyes banish night by the might of thine eyes snowy arms oars of snow o'er her hither plashing low soft and slow o'er her hither stream behind her o'er the lake radiant whiteness in her wake following following for her sake radiant whiteness cling about her waters blue part not from her but renew cold and true kisses round her lap me round waters sad that have left her make me glad for ye had kissed her ere ye left her before he had finished his song the princess was just under the place where he sat and looking up to find him her ears had led her truly would you like a fall princess said the prince looking down ah there you are yes if you please prince said the princess looking up how do you know i am a prince princess said the prince because you are a very nice young man prince said the princess come up then princess fetch me prince the prince took off his scarf then his sword-belt then his tunic and tied them all together and let them down but the line was far too short he unwound his turban and added it to the rest when it was all but long enough and his purse completed it the princess just managed to lay hold of the knot of money and was beside him in a moment this rock was much higher than the other and the splash and the dive were tremendous the princess was in ecstasies of delight and their swim was delicious night after night they met and swam about in the dark clear lake where such was the prince's gladness that whether the princess's way of looking at things infected him or he was actually getting light-headed he often fancied that he was swimming in the sky instead of the lake but when he talked about being in heaven the princess laughed at him dreadfully when the moon came she brought them fresh pleasure 
everything looked strange and new in her light with an old withered yet unfading newness when the moon was nearly full one of their great delights was to dive deep in the water and then turning round look up through it at the great blot of light close above them shimmering and trembling and wavering spreading and contracting seeming to melt away and again grow solid then they would shoot up through the blot and lo there was the moon far off clear and steady and cold and very lovely at the bottom of a deeper and bluer lake than theirs as the princess said the prince soon found out that while in the water the princess was very like other people and besides this she was not so forward in her questions or pert in her replies at sea as on the shore neither did she laugh so much and when she did laugh it was more gently she seemed altogether more modest and maidenly in the water than out of it but when the prince who had really fallen in love when he fell in the lake began to talk to her about love she always turned her head towards him and laughed after a while she began to look puzzled as if she were trying to understand what he meant but could not revealing a notion that he meant something but as soon as ever she left the lake she was so altered that the prince said to himself if i marry her i see no help for it we must turn merman and mermaid and go out to sea at once chapter eleven hiss the princess's pleasure in the lake had grown to a passion and she could scarcely bear to be out of it for an hour imagine then her consternation when diving with the prince one night a sudden suspicion seized her that the lake was not so deep as it used to be the prince could not imagine what had happened she shot to the surface and without a word swam at full speed towards the higher side of the lake he followed begging to know if she was ill or what was the matter she never turned her head or took the smallest notice of his question arrived at the shore she coasted the rocks with minute inspection but she was not able to come to a conclusion for the moon was very small and so she could not see well she turned therefore and swam home without saying a word to explain her conduct to the prince of whose presence she seemed no longer conscious he withdrew to his cave in great perplexity and distress next day she made many observations which alas strengthened her fears she saw that the banks were too dry and that the grass on the shore and the trailing plants on the rocks were withering away she caused marks to be made along the borders and examined them day after day in all directions of the wind till at last the horrible idea became a certain fact that the surface of the lake was slowly sinking the poor princess nearly went out of the little mind she had it was awful to her to see the lake which she loved more than any living thing lie dying before her eyes it sank away slowly vanishing the tops of rocks that had never been seen till now began to appear far down in the clear water before long they were dry in the sun it was fearful to think of the mud that would soon lie there baking and festering full of lovely creatures dying and ugly creatures coming to life like the unmaking of a world and how hot the sun would be without any lake she could not bear to swim in it any more and began to pine away her life seemed bound up with it and ever as the lake sank she pined people said she would not live an hour after the lake was gone but she never cried proclamation was made to all the kingdom that whosoever should discover the cause of the lake's decrease would be rewarded after a princely fashion humdrum and kopi keck applied themselves to their physics and metaphysics but in vain not even they could suggest a cause now the fact was that the old princess was at the root of the mischief when she heard that her niece found more pleasure in the water than any one else had out of it she went into a rage and cursed herself for her want of foresight 
but said she i will soon set all right the king and the people shall die of thirst their brains shall boil and frizzle in their skulls before i will lose my revenge and she laughed a ferocious laugh that made the hairs on the back of her black cat stand erect with terror then she went to an old chest in the room and opening it took out what looked like a piece of dried seaweed this she threw into a tub of water then she threw some powder into the water and stirred it with her bare arm muttering over it words of hideous sound and yet more hideous import then she set the tub aside and took from the chest a huge bunch of a hundred rusty keys that clattered in her shaking hands then she sat down and proceeded to oil them all before she had finished out from the tub the water of which had kept on a slow motion ever since she had ceased stirring it came the head and half the body of a huge grey snake but the witch did not look round it grew out of the tub waving itself backwards and forwards with a slow horizontal motion till it reached the princess when it laid its head upon her shoulder and gave a low hiss in her ear she started but with joy and seeing the head resting on her shoulder drew it towards her and kissed it then she drew it all out of the tub and wound it round her body it was one of those dreadful creatures which few have ever beheld the white snakes of darkness then she took the keys and went down to her cellar and as she unlocked the door she said to herself this is worth living for locking the door behind her she descended a few steps into the cellar and crossing it unlocked another door into a dark narrow passage she unlocked this also behind her and descended a few more steps if any one had followed the witch princess he would have heard her unlock exactly one hundred doors and descend a few steps after unlocking each when she had unlocked the last she entered a vast cave the roof of which was supported by huge natural pillars of rock now this roof was the under side of the bottom of the lake she then untwined the snake from her body and held it by the tail high above her the hideous creature stretched up its head towards the roof of the cavern which it was just able to reach it then began to move its head backwards and forwards with a slow oscillating motion as if looking for something at the same moment the witch began to walk round and round the cavern coming nearer to the centre every circuit while the head of the snake described the same path over the roof that she did over the floor for she kept holding it up and still it kept slowly osculating round and round the cavern they went ever lessening the circuit till at last the snake made a sudden dart and clung to the roof with its mouth that's right my beauty cried the princess drain it dry she let it go left it hanging and sat down on a great stone with her black cat which had followed her all round the cave by her side then she began to knit and mutter awful words the snake hung like a huge leech sucking at the stone the cat stood with his back arched and his tail like a piece of cable looking up at the snake and the old woman sat and knitted and muttered seven days and seven nights they remained thus when suddenly the serpent dropped from the roof as if exhausted and shrivelled up till it was again like a piece of dried seaweed the witch started to her feet picked it up put it in her pocket and looked up at the roof one drop of water was trembling on the spot where the snake had been sucking as soon as she saw that she turned and fled followed by her cat shutting the door in a terrible hurry she locked it and having muttered some frightful words sped to the next which also she locked and muttered over and so with all the hundred doors till she arrived in her own cellar then she sat down on the floor ready to faint but listening with malicious delight to the rushing of the water 
which she could hear distinctly through all the hundred doors but this was not enough now that she had tasted revenge she lost her patience without further measures the lake would be too long in disappearing so the next night with the last shred of the dying old moon rising she took some of the water in which she had revived the snake put it in a bottle and set out accompanied by her cat before morning she had made the entire circuit of the lake muttering fearful words as she crossed every stream and casting into it some of the water out of her bottle when she had finished the circuit she muttered yet again and flung a handful of the water towards the moon thereupon every spring in the country ceased to throb and bubble dying away like the pulse of a dying man the next day there was no sound of falling water to be heard along the borders of the lake the very courses were dry and the mountains showed no silvery streaks down their dark sides and not alone had the fountains of mother earth ceased to flow for all the babies throughout the country were crying dreadfully only without tears chapter twelve where is the prince never since the night when the princess left him so abruptly had the prince had a single interview with her he had seen her once or twice in the lake but as far as he could discover she had not been in it any more at night he had sat and sung and looked in vain for his nereid while she like a true nereid was wasting away with her lake sinking as it sank withering as it dried when at length he discovered the change that was taking place in the level of the water he was in great alarm and perplexity he could not tell whether the lake was dying because the lady had forsaken it or whether the lady would not come because the lake had begun to sink but he resolved to know so much at least he disguised himself and going to the palace requested to see the lord chamberlain his appearance at once gained his request and the lord chamberlain being a man of some insight perceived that there was more in the prince's solicitation than met the ear he felt likewise that no one could tell whence a solution of the present difficulties might arise so he granted the prince's prayer to be made shoe-black to the princess it was rather cunning in the prince to request such an easy post for the princess could not possibly soil as many shoes as other princesses he soon learned all that could be told about the princess he went nearly distracted but after roaming about the lake for days and diving in every depth that remained all that he could do was to put an extra polish on the dainty pair of boots that was never called for for the princess kept her room with the curtains drawn to shut out the dying lake but could not shut it out of her mind for a moment it haunted her imagination so that she felt as if the lake were her soul drying up within her first to mud then to madness and death she thus brooded over the change with all its dreadful accompaniments till she was nearly distracted as for the prince she had forgotten him however much she had enjoyed his company in the water she did not care for him without it but she seemed to have forgotten her father and mother too the lake went on sinking small slimy spots began to appear which glittered steadily amidst the changeful shine of the water these grew to broad patches of mud which widened and spread with rocks here and there and floundering fishes and crawling eels swarming the people went everywhere catching these and looking for anything that might have dropped from the royal boats at length the lake was all but gone only a few of the deepest pools remaining unexhausted it happened one day that a party of youngsters found themselves on the brink of one of these pools in the very centre of the lake it was a rocky basin of considerable depth looking in they saw at the bottom something that shone yellow in the sun a little boy jumped in and dived for it it was a plate of gold covered with writing they carried it to the king on one side of it stood these words 
death alone from death can save love is death and so is brave love can fill the deepest grave love loves on beneath the wave now this was enigmatical enough to the king and courtiers but the reverse of the plate explained it a little its writing amounted to this if the lake should disappear they must find the hole through which the water ran but it would be useless to try to stop it by any ordinary means there was but one effectual mode the body of a living man could alone staunch the flow the man must give himself of his own will and the lake must take his life as it filled otherwise the offering would be of no avail if the nation could not provide one hero it was time it should perish End of section 31. Recording by Jean Bascom, Potomac, Maryland.